What is up? I'm Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. Before we jump into today's podcast, I'd love for you to check out my band, Run With It. You can listen to all of our music on any of the platforms, or you can go follow us anywhere you follow people at, at Run With It Band, at Run With It Band, and check out, again, the, the music at runwithitband.net. Today's guest is Ryan Sorrell. Ryan Sorrell is the founder of the Kansas City Defender. It is a black nonprofit community media platform employing innovative digital and community building strategies to engage Gen Z and millennials across the Midwest. Their primary focus areas are education, justice, business, arts and culture, and technology, reaching over 10 million people and growing their social media audience to over 25,000 followers in their first year. They've created a new model for reaching black people and Gen Z. In this episode, uh, it, it was another live podcast event at Kinship Cafe in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, we're going to be announcing the next one. It's going to be one coming up in April. Uh, I'll be putting it on on the, the podcast and letting you guys know when that's happening. But in this episode, Ryan and I talk about the current state of media in regard to black culture. We also talk about the power of entrepreneurship and how it can allow you to be fully who you are. It's a great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Up, we got Ryan Sorrell here, founder, editor of Casey Defenders, and how's it going, man? Good, good. What about you? Oh yeah, feeling good, feeling good. Um, so, we got shorter time than like I was explaining. I'm used to like an hour long where we can dive into it. So, I was hoping you could do like a brief origin story, kind of background of what Casey Defenders, this very quick rise, and obviously need that you guys are filling. Definitely, definitely. I think uh, generally when I'm providing like our origin story. I like to start it in 2020. Um, I was actually living in Chicago at the time and working at a digital PR agency doing like web development analytics and I went to school in Chicago as well and then of course the uprisings, George Floyd uprisings uh, broke out. I was actually just back here in Kansas City for a couple of days just staying with my family when the protests and everything broke out and uh, I went to the protest, and of course, there was like thousands and thousands of people out there. City. Yeah, here in yeah. Kansas City, gotcha. and there was like thousands and thousands of people out there. And so, for me, I was just like mesmerized by how many people actually showed out. And so, I decided, basically, in that moment, I decided to quit my job at the digital PR agency, and I moved back here to Kansas City so that I could help be a community organizer, pretty much, and like. I started a community organization back then called Black Rainbow, and that's when we started doing things that we call like mutual aid, mm-hmm. which is where we go to like grocery stores like Wild Woodies or Sunfresh. We would just raise like $3,000 beforehand and go to a grocery store, stand at the cash register, and just give direct cash to black people, basically. Right. And so that was like when we first started doing community work. And so I was doing that from 2020 to 2021. And I, during that time period, I just got very frustrated with how a lot of the white news outlets would report on things like protests. They would say things like, like the headline would say, black people complain about alleged racism or something like, something crazy like that. Yeah. And so I basically was very frustrated, mad, pissed off at how like these news outlets would repeatedly like not tell our stories the right way. And so I had been organizing between 2020 and 2021. And it just got to the point where I was like, 
white, white people basically or white organizations or institutions generally can't tell black stories in the same way that black people can. Right. And so that was when I basically just had, I started off kind of with a podcast and then my friend who I've also known since I was in like seventh grade, uh, we just like actually started shooting videos before we started the actual news outlet. And like Jazz was one of the first people who we uh, who we interviewed back in the day. It's great full circle. And, I yeah, love it. yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and we had, like when we first started off, we were literally going to like we'd go to 18th and Vine. We literally went to the strip club, and like we're actually just trying to get people in the community. We were talking to promoters. Yeah. We were talking like to anybody, just trying to get people to like build connections with people in our community. And from there, now we have actually like broken over 10 national news stories. Yeah. We have built connections with like people from CNN, Washington Post recently covered one of our stories last month. That's amazing. And so, yeah, I think now we're just trying to expand our work. That's cool. What I love is that it, it seems rooted in very, like you were just trying to find a way to help and then yeah. expand it from there. I, I think sometimes you see some media folks or podcasters, like they just kind of jump out there because they want their faces or their thing out front where you are, you guys are in the community making things happen. I think that's powerful and obviously is overflowing through the, the actual media that you're creating. I'm curious, uh, we're, we're going to jump into like the future of black media and the current state of black media where you even mentioned kind of that headline out there, like the differences. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I am curious uh, from as you guys have like gotten this national attention, was it them reaching out to you or did you guys reach out to them like how do, what did that look like I think it, it was a little bit of both because again my background is in public relations and so like I knew how to do media relations I knew how to like write pitches and send them to people but the easier way to do that is just to know who the reporters are on Instagram pretty much right so you have like these huge pages like Hollywood Unlocked or the Baller Alert and you can easily just go and figure out who are the actual reporters for Baller Alert follow them on Instagram and pitch them a story. And if they cover it, they'll give you attribution pretty much. And so that was like part of it was actually pitching these stories that we think are in national interest, but there's other things that would just go viral. So we've also had like a, this one preacher who was just saying some crazy stuff. And uh, that, that story, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And uh, so we had, we just put that on TikTok and it went like super viral on TikTok. Right. And TikTok is crazy because people will download the videos and put them onto like Reddit. They'll put them onto Twitter. So it'll go, it starts off going viral on TikTok, but then people will spread it to these other platforms. And then from there, depending on like, if we are the ones that have like the main source to a story, mm -hmm. oftentimes that makes it where these larger news outlets, sometimes like earlier on, they would kind of try to go around having to reach out to us or having to give us credit for the story. I see. But if we are the ones that have direct access to the source and the story, then oftentimes they have to credit us because we are the only ones who have talked to the person in so the story. So it sounds like so. you meet some resistance even even now, even that you got yeah. attention. Definitely. There's, there's like lots of, I think a lot of other news outlets view us as competition, but there's also like we speak very unapologetically about what we believe in. We're right. very much an advocacy news outlet, a pro-black news outlet. And so a lot of people don't, like what we talk about and so there's also there's like pushback from the business side in terms of like viewing us as competition but ideologically there's also pushback from both news outlets and the police department so as yeah. you as people reach out are they wanting you to kind of dilute like a headline or words those kind of things uh, they, they don't necessarily reach out to us they'll just put out a story that 
might try to discredit what we're saying, basically. Uh, and so like that has happened, this, like, yeah. Let's tell you the, the rest of the story. Exactly. Or they'll, like, try to call us social media, which they use that as, like, a demeaning term, pretty right. much, instead of referring to us as a news outlet. Even though so. you guys get more attention than some of the, the shows that are actually on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what's hilarious, yeah. is yeah. podcasts and TikTok have a better reach than, like, most morning programs wow. on TV anymore. Like, wow. So, yeah, there's such a power there. Uh, but diving into the idea of current state of black media, what, you know, you were breaking down just a little bit before the podcast, this idea of like the difference in headlines and what, what one story, for example, another shooting here in Kansas City, you said just yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah. So do you want to break down what are the differences that you see uh, in like kind of a, a more white established media versus like black media? Definitely. I think that there's a lot. I think one of the ones that we talk a lot about is taking the police's word at face value or just like believing what the police to say to be the like truth. And so oftentimes, yeah, exactly. Like, cause the police oftentimes, like as soon as they like shoot somebody, then they actually have in-house public relations people who create this entire official, so-called official police report. Which and, is the narrative. Which is the narrative that yeah. they create. And the news outlets basically will take that exact police report and print that as fact. When there's an example that wow. I can give that I often talk about, which happened in, two, like, not last year, uh, 2021 in March, mm -hmm. when a black man named Malcolm Johnson was killed in a gas station, a BP gas station. Yeah. And the original narrative that the police Kansas City Police Department said was that he was armed and that he was shooting at the police. That was what they said in the official police report. Five police officers corroborated that mm -hmm. story, and it didn't come out until, like, two months later when... Uh, some employees of that gas station leaked surveillance footage of what actually took place and it was he was actually being held on the ground by three police officers he never had a gun throughout the entire scenario right. and one of the police officers accidentally shot another police officer and then right. killed him and so it's like a whole just a huge lie pretty much and that's like not abnormal and so for us we understand that they operate in that way. And so we are like, why would we continue to take what they say at face value? So I think that those like critical aspects are very important, but I think yeah. especially during like Black History Month right now, we also believe in like positive imagery because we think part of why it's so harmful that a lot of these white, new how these white news houses function is they inflict psychological warfare through showing harmful, violent images of black people. We just saw Tyree Nichols. Right. And so we are also very, we think it's very important to show positive images of like artists and uh, uplifting black people. We have Black Student of the Month as well. Yeah, and so, so like showing very positive things too. Well, and that comes through with what like your guys' feed and what you're pushing out there where you have some of these pieces where you're calling out the injustices and then like you said, that, that heralding and celebrating of, of what you know to be true, like in the community. Um, it, it sounds like one of the biggest differences is the fact that you're willing to question the narrative that's, that's set out there for you. Definitely. I mean, I, I think uh, a number of traditional legacy news outlets choose not to question the narrative. I think some of them for legal reasons because it can potentially put you in like a legal troubling situation. We're like a lot smaller. We don't really have any money. So if somebody sues us, like <laughs> you can't. <laughs> It's not really much you'll get, but uh, right. so like that's one aspect. And the other aspect is, is really honestly just like, it's much easier to just take the official police report and just put it up and say, this is what happened. It requires a lot less work as well, so. 
What do you see as the future of black media? And obviously you're like already on the leading edge of that, but what do you see to come the next five, 10 years? Definitely, I think uh, what, cause I've been connecting with a lot of different publishers from around the country. A lot of them have switched from being in for-profit into being in non-profit news outlets as far as their business model. And that's interesting. Uh, I think that's for a number of reasons, but uh, one of the things I think is most exciting about what's taking place is that a lot of them are switching, like a lot of black people especially get our news from social media. Mm -hmm. And so like I've talked to a lot of high school students, that's over 60% of our audience is between the ages of 13 and 30 years old. Okay. And so I'm very like intent on understanding how young people access information right. and news. And so uh, the way that a lot of young people who I talk to, like high schoolers, literally get only get their information and news off of TikTok. Yeah, I believe that. And so like... <laughs> I got four boys, and I think that's how it goes. <laughs> exactly, and so I think uh, that's like one of the biggest transitions that's happening right now that we're trying to help be a part of is actually like prioritizing social media platforms as places and like communal creation of information and news rather than it being like a top-down kind of thing. So like communal, the, do you mean like reaching out to different folks, bringing in their stories, like they're, like maybe someone who's not even like an official reporter for exactly. you guys bringing in something in? Exactly, okay. exactly, yeah. That's awesome. What yeah. does that look like right now for you guys with the, the community coming up? I think, because we, we actually have like two sides of our organization. And so the first side is the editorial, so that's what handles like social media, our website, mm -hmm. our actual so-called so like journalism, journalism type work. <laughs> so and <cool>. then, <laughs> And then the other side is what we call community programs. Uh -huh. And so that's who's doing like, we did a basketball park takeover this past summer where we brought in uh, a YouTube basketball player. Nice. And he came, we also do the, the grocery buyouts that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, we, we do other like community, we just launched our free clothing program last week. And so the cultural aspect, um, like actually doing community building, that's like, as much a part of our organization as the actual journalism that we're doing. And so right. some of the people who come in through like that cultural portion end up becoming writers and stuff too. That's awesome. Yeah. So it, it sounds like even more than just journalism, like an actual movement that's happening behind what you guys are doing. Was that the intent when you quit your job uh, to come mm -hmm. out here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to me like that is getting back to what the black press, black media has been supposed to be for like since it first started in the United States. And we just kind of moved like a, a lot of news outlets over time can like get, become more moderate and become more like bourgeoisie or something. Yeah. And so they kind of like lose the connection to the people. And so we think it's like very important to and also a lot of people don't know that black black media, the black press historically was the second most influential institution in black communities behind the black church. Man. And so we, again, we don't see ourselves as being like some outside, like objective thing. We wanna be a part of the actual community and like be serving, be a service and growing and building the community while we're collectively creating news. That's awesome, man. Well, I, we're going to take a quick break. Ryan Sorrell, Casey Defenders, right here. But I'd love to jump into two things when we come back. Um, the idea of you just stepping out. Like, I love the entrepreneurial spirit of just right. saying, like, fuck this job. Let's go do this thing. Nah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear more of that story. And then now I'm blanking on the other thing. There was something. So hopefully in the break I remember because uh, there was cool, something cool. that, like, stirred, stirred another question for me. But this, it's a powerful thing seeing the movement 
that's coming mm -hmm. out and obviously filling a need like people are gravitating towards it because yeah. it wasn't there. So it's yeah, awesome. Let's it. go ahead and we're going to go over and give it up one more time. Jazz and Clarence. Back here with Ryan Sorrell from KC Defenders. And so I wanted to jump into this, this entrepreneurial step that you took. Because uh, So for my podcast, it's all about uh, interviewing artists, entrepreneurs, about living a great life, creating great things. Mm. And entrepreneurship inspires me. It's like starting something from nothing. And often it involves leaving a big something to, to, to nothing. So what was that like for you uh, coming from Chicago, coming down here, and then suddenly being like, this is where I need to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, to me, it was like an obvious decision almost. Uh, I think I was, I thought about it just for a little bit, but like, I'll, before I was, before I did this, I was working at the digital PR agency that I mentioned, and so I was like one of like, if there was 150 people that worked there, there was probably like five black people, and I was of course the only black guy, and so... Just working in a space like that, that's like very, like we would have these quarterly meetings and all they talk about is like the money that the like company's making and everybody's like clapping and I'm just like, I really don't care about this at all. Right. <laughs> and so, and it was like just not meaningful in any way at all. And so I knew that I've always wanted to do something that was like actually meaningful and that I feel like is impactful that is building with com like the black community specifically. Right. And so whenever 2020 happened and the uprisings broke out, to me, like, we already, it was already the biggest, like, social movement in American history. And so I'm just thinking to myself, like, what better time is there to quit a job that I know I want to quit at some point anyway? Than, <laughs> you already know, like, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, I was staying at my parents' house at the time out here. Right. And I, like, looked, I talked to my dad one day and I was like, uh, dad, I think I'm about to quit my job. And he was just like at his computer. And he just like turned around and then he was like, and just kept working and just ignored me completely. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he was like, <laughs> and then the next day I, I actually quit my job. And then I was like, what the hell are you about to do? So, but I got lucky because, which is a very much a privilege that I had because my parents like are very supportive of the work I do in the community. And so they allowed me to live there while I started up the That's Defender awesome. and literally like to me that shows how much of a barrier of entry there is because it, I was already struggling even while I was living there to make money while I was working on creating the Defender right. and I didn't even have like I didn't have enough money to survive for at least the first like year probably of the whole entire organization and that's while having someone who's allowing me to live at their home and so I think like there's a hum enormous barrier of entry, especially for black people. Right. Um, and so, but yeah, I think ultimately there was somebody who I was talking to a while back and they said that there gets to a certain point when the risk is in staying at the place that you know you don't like and not in, like the risk actually isn't in leaving, it's at staying somewhere that you know is not fulfilling. Absolutely. And so to me, that's what, what made me want to make the jump. That's awesome. It's cool to find that support with like a family that will support you, even though your dad's like, what the hell? Man. Okay. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. I think that's a, a powerful thing when you see people support you. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it is so different where it's like certain families, like if there's generational wealth where people can come in, it's like they, they are your seed money and they Man. can get you a house or those yeah. kind of things where uh, if you're starting from like 10 points back from everyone else, you got to face that reality. But I'm, I'm glad they were able to support you on that. 
Um, when we were talking about, uh, I want to make sure I get this question right on this. I wrote it down in the break. So uh, for your content, uh, are you, do you guys have a perspective where you're trying to educate white America? You're trying to inform black America? You're trying, like what are the goals or do they change from story to story? Yeah, I think it definitely changes from story to story. Um, I think we try to do like all of those things. When we first started, before we had like any type of reporting capacity or people like now we have some freelance writers who might write like once a week and they might write opinion pieces or they might report on something that's happening. But when we first started and it was just me, I would literally look at the Kansas City Star or look at Fox 4 and be like, how is like I would just look at the headlines and be like that framing is just very racist right and so I would just reframe the story and write it like so that's how I was getting like, like a lot of the story <laughs> exactly <laughs> like I would literally just go to these different Kansas City news outlets mm -hmm. and look at how racist their framing was and then just reframe the story in a way that like is actually a lot more accurate honestly and so that was the initial like way that we would get content and get stories and stuff I would also just write opinion pieces but now we're at a point where we can, we, we get a lot of like students all across Missouri and Kansas, like as far out as Harrisonville hmm. or Lawrence or Mizzou or Olathe, Lee Summit, Blue Springs, like there's students at all of these different school districts all across Missouri and Kansas who follow our platform. And a lot of them will just like send stuff that happens in their schools, like at University Academy maybe like a month and a half ago, there was a white teacher who just kept saying the N-word, and even after his black students were like, you shouldn't be saying the N-word. And he was like, you can't police my speech, is what he told them. Wow. And so the students reached out to us, and uh, I was basically just like super busy at the time, and almost like, just didn't, it was like right around Thanksgiving. I, I didn't have time to cover the story, and so like three weeks went past, and the students had reported it to their administration, but the administration didn't do anything. And then, so the students came back three weeks later and were like, they're still not doing anything. Can you please cover this story? Hmm. And so we cover it, it like blows up on social media. And like 20 minutes after we publish it, the principal calls my cell phone and is like saying, <laughs> yo man, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, all the news outlets are talking about yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. And so he calls my cell phone like, so I guess you just be printing anything. And he said, he came at me like that. So I was wow. like, <laughs> I was like, well, we actually have multiple sources of students that we spoke with before this whole situation. Wow. And he was like, oh, I didn't even see. And I was like, did you read the article? He was like, no. I was like, so you got my phone talking crazy and you haven't even read the article we printed. And so that and now, of course, now they're trying to take like steps to rectify the situation to like improve DEI and everything right. in the district. But it usually it's that's how it kind of occurs. But to go back to the initial question, we definitely uh, like reframe stories is like one thing we'll do. We also now have like built a relationship and a reputation amongst a lot of students to where they provide us with a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. And then we also just have people in the community who will reach out and be like, uh, can you cover this thing? Or we also always recommend for people to send in like positive stories like the second best player in uh, high school soccer goes to Rockhurst University. Yeah, I saw that. So, on there. Yeah. Like, that was wild. I didn't even exactly. know. Because it's something about the World Cup. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Was he in it? Oh, he, he wasn't in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was just, he's just like the second best player in the country. Okay. So. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty good. Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. man. 
Well, uh, last question for you. And I feel like in conversations, because especially when you bring up the conversation of race, can be very, it can be very tense, very layered with so many different aspects of, of everyone's cultural past, economic past, all these things. Um, but I feel like in conversations, sometimes we still hold back, like the last 5%, the last 10%, the things that we're like, man, I wish I would have said, I, but I, I shouldn't, or I, I didn't want to, whatever it is. Is there, when you're in these meetings, when you're, you're even you're having this conversation, when a principal calls you up to say, like, why are you going to come at me like that, or whatever it was, <laughs> is there a last 5% that you wish you could say? Uh, to me, that's the beauty of owning our own institution is I don't have to hold anything back at all. <laughs> and I think that's what people appreciate is like we can say whatever we want to say. Nice. And like I think that's that to me is why the black press is essential is mm -hmm. because if you are under the star, whether it's the star or Fox 4, like there are black reporters at these institutions. But ultimately, and it's, it might not even be people saying you can't say this, it's just the culture that's built into their organization. Exactly. Like if I say this, it's going to cause this problem. I have this conversation with yeah. this person exactly. in their office, and I don't want to mess with that bullshit. Exactly. Okay. And so they, they censor themselves. Yeah. And we, I don't have a boss. We are, the only people we're accountable to is the community. And the right. community wants to hear like what people are feeling and what people are saying. And that, so we can say whatever we want to. And like we want to tell the truth, and we want to be accurate, and we want to have integrity. But ultimately, we can say the KCPD is a white supremacist institution. Mm -hmm. Other outlets can't say something like that. And so, yeah, we can just say whatever we think is the truth. Uh, yeah. And so I think that's like a very powerful uh, type of uh, autonomy to have. That's cool. I, it seems like in you stepping out, taking this risk uh, in the beginning, uh, it allowed you the opportunity to, not, to like say all the percents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in exactly. a way, which I think is powerful. So that's awesome. Definitely. Thank you. Ryan Sorrell, yeah. KC Defenders, give it up I one more time. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Going over. Uh, you guys got another one for us? Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.